You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. My name is Sandy and it's a privilege to be bringing God's words to you this morning. Uh, But I thought before I do that, uh, I'll share quickly about what is happening with the City Church as well. I spoke with Uncle Roger uh, just now and, and he just asked me a question. How is the how is the tiny church plant? And I remember that okay, maybe I should mention this quickly because I think it's good to uh, for, uh, we we covered your prayer and your support as well. Well, Maria and I, uh, Maria, my wife and I have been uh, living in Tiny. Uh, if you don't know where Tiny is, it's in Werribee, Hoppers Crossing, around that side. Uh, we've been living there for seven years now, and uh, so the third year of our living there, we realized that there was no churches there, so we began praying whether there was a reason God allowed us to move to Tani. And after much prayer, and we brought it up to the leadership of the church as well, and after much prayer and discussion, we decided to start planting a church. So the church hasn't started yet, it hasn't launched yet. We are hoping that the service will start next year sometime, but we are in the process of recruiting uh, people to consider joining the launch team. Uh, so I thought I'll mention this to you, because uh, definitely as many people to pray for this, uh, it will be the, the best. It will be great. Um, the, the harvest is indeed plentiful there. Um, there are 40,000 people living there at the moment, and it is only projected to triple that by 2040. And there are no church buildings in sight um, in Tanit alone. So definitely a lot of churches needed to be to be planted there so please continue uphold us in prayer if you want to know more if you want to keep updated please talk to me uh, give give me your email address we'll send you with a monthly update so that you can pray a bit more with 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 more information okay well uh we are now looking into the this is the second uh second part of our series on proclaiming jesus um we looked at our message already in the first one, talking about how we have to make our message very clear before we talk about Jesus. And today we look at our prayer. Well, some of you might know, uh, whenever I preach, I always talk about movies. I love watching movies, uh, particularly a lot of superhero movies lately. Uh, but from the time to time, if you watch any action movies, if you watch any action movies, there is this typical scene. There's this typical uh, scene that is rather frustrating to me. Now, for example, um, for example, in uh, the movie Iron Man, for example, uh, one time Iron Man and his friend, uh, the friend here is called, his name is War Machine. I know it's quite creative there, War Machine. Uh, they are surrounded by the enemy robots. In the middle of the seemingly losing battle, they were surrounded, they were uh, just almost losing, and in the middle of that, Iron Man asked his friend to duck. His friend quickly ducked, and then he then unleashes these laser beams, 360 degrees laser beam, that cut all the hammer drones or cut the enemy robots in two with just one strike. The war machine, his friend then says, wow, I think you should lead with that next time. Well, you would agree. I would agree. I thought to myself, yeah, why didn't you start with that? You know, this scene is unfortunately 
not uncommon in any action movies. You know, the heroes are fighting the enemies. And when they seem to be losing the battle, all of a sudden there's this one particular hero just appears on the scene or one of the heroes unleashes this secret weapon and defeats all or if not most of the enemies with one huge strike and then turns the battle around. And then at the end of the movie, you wonder why on earth didn't they start with that one? Well, I think that's why today's topic is very important because when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to proclaiming Jesus, we also have a secret weapon that is very effective. But yet many times we forget to use it from the beginning. And yes, I'm talking about prayer. Prayer. You see, when we talk about proclaiming Jesus, Yes, our message must be clear. We must be clear about who we are proclaiming, Jesus. We must not proclaim other things. We proclaim about Jesus. But then before we go out and proclaim the message, before we go out there, we must pray. We must pray. Colossians 4, 2-6, which is the theme passage of our series, in the first three verses, Paul asks the Colossians this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful with it, in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, that I may make it clear. Pray that God will open the door. Pray that I will make it clear. You see, Paul pleads them to pray because Paul knows without prayer, he will be only pushing locked doors, or even worse, he'll be pushing brick walls. Nothing will happen. Without prayer, our gospel proclamation will bear no fruit. So two things today. I want to talk about why do we pray and what do we pray for. Well, before, before we do that, let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for giving us time to look at your word and to be encouraged again um, by your word. I pray, Lord, as I speak, it will not be my word, but your words, Lord, will speak to our hearts, uh, will pierce to the hardest of hearts, and will be planted so that we can go out from this place being convinced of what we should do, why we should do it. And we pray, Father, that as we do, as we obey your word, Lord, we'll see more and more people coming to know the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, firstly, why do we pray? Well, I'll just give you two reasons now. One is because evangelism is a spiritual warfare. It is a spiritual warfare. You know, a number of years ago, uh, someone came to our house, tried to convince us to buy a vacuum cleaner. He demonstrated how the vacuum cleaner worked. It uses water instead of uh, bags to trap the dust. So we don't need to replace filters because the water will just trap the dust. And when the water is dirty, you simply throw the water away to the garden and you fill it up with fresh water. And because there are no filters, there are no bags, it doesn't lose suctions. And the machine also comes with various attachments, including a carpet washer as well, because it uses water, so might as well wash the carpet. He tried it on our carpet as well. He tried it on a, just a very small patch in our bedroom. I thought, might as well do the whole bedroom, right? But he did only a small patch and we can see the difference. We were convinced that it was a very good vacuum cleaner. Now, you see, evangelism, evangelism can sometimes feel like trying to sell someone a product. 
by demonstrating the superior features of the product. Now, it's not totally wrong because the good news of Jesus Christ is superior to any other news. However, when we sell a vacuum cleaner, when someone sells a car or someone sells anything for that matter, you will appeal to the mind and probably the emotion as well. Now, evangelism, on the other hand, evangelism, on the other hand, is not just a purely intellectual or emotional exercise. You see, if we think evangelism, if we think proclaiming Jesus is just intellectual and emotional exercise, then we will risk watering down the gospel. You will risk subtracting, editing the gospel, editing part of the message of the gospel, and you, you will maybe remove parts of the gospel that is not palatable, remove parts of the gospel that is rather offensive, or you will end up manipulating people's emotion just to get them to say yes to the gospel. You see, in the passage that we read just now, Jesus says this to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, of course, entering the kingdom of God here is the same as receiving eternal life, receiving salvation. It means you're going to heaven. And Jesus says that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't say unless one is convinced intellectually, unless one is convinced emotionally, rather unless one is born again. It's not about intellectual knowledge of the benefits of the kingdom or emotional connection to the story of God. It's not about that. Of course, there is something, it, 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 it has something to do with that, but it's not mainly about that. You see, if you are a Christian, if you are a Christian, something else has happened internally deep in your heart, internally deep in your soul and your spirit for you to see the kingdom of God. Mario just now shared during the communion, remember the time when you first say yes to Jesus, when you first made your commitment, something inside changed, something inside happened. It's not just your mind, it's not just emotion, but there is something else happened inside. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, for example, Paul also tells us that proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ is not simply an intellectual encounter. He says, he, he says this, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Now, this is the month of Ramadan for Muslims. I think where I live in Tiny, the population, the Muslim population is growing. And I believe there's a lot, quite a few Muslim population as well in this area. Uh, so this is the month of Ramadan for Muslims. And one time during Ramadan, uh, we gave our Muslim neighbor some Indonesian desserts. We're from Indonesia. We gave them some Indonesian desserts because we know that they usually have some sweets uh, to break their fast. And a few months later, in return, the son came to our place, giving us some gifts during Easter holiday because they know that we are Christians. Maria received the gifts, and then Maria asked, asked the boy, do you know what Easter is about? And the boy said, uh, not really. It's about bunnies and eggs. 
And Maria then took the opportunity to explain to the boy what Easter is all about. Now, this is just an example how the God of this world, Satan, is doing a great job in blinding the people's minds from seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, we must realize that we are engaging in a cosmic struggle. We are engaging in a cosmic struggle. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. Our fight is against the spiritual forces of darkness. And people are not convinced and then subsequently become Christians because of your amazing display of intellectual or rhetorical skill. No. That's why Paul says this as well. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. If there is anyone if there's anyone who can claim to have wisdom, to be able to preach with power, with eloquency, it would be Paul. He encountered God, encountered Jesus personally. He spent time with Jesus. He received the gospel not from the apostles, but from Jesus himself. If there's anyone who can claim to proclaim the testimony of God with speech and wisdom, it will be him. But this is what he said. I came not with lofty speech and wisdom, rather in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. You see, that's why we must pray. That's why we must pray, because when we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. When we pray, we are pleading God to pry open the hands of the evil ones and set people free from the bondage of Satan. When I was young, um, when I was young, I, my, 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 my dad's employees, one of my dad's employees, used to play a game with us. He says that I've got a coin in my hand. He just put it like that. If you can pry open my fingers, you get the coin. And we were very little. We try our best to just keep prying open one finger at a time. We just couldn't do it. And that's what happens with us as well. We're trying to pry open the hands of the evil ones to set people free from the bondage of Satan. We couldn't do it. We are pleading God. Only God can do it. So that's why we are pleading God to pry open the hands of the evil ones. So that's the first reason we must pray because it is a spiritual warfare. We must acknowledge that. And secondly, we pray because only the Spirit can give life. Only the Spirit can give life. You see, when Jesus tells Nicodemus that we must be born again, he says this, Nicodemus says this, how can a man be born again when he is old? How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the, the, the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now, I used to think that water here and spirit here rep uh, rep refer to water baptism and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I realize that's not the case. This is actually the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. Ezekiel chapter 36 says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. This is God speaks through the prophet Ezekiel. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. 
and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you the heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You see, again, what Mario just now mentioned, when you make commitment to God, there's something happens within you. This is what happens. God is giving you a new heart. God is giving you His Spirit to live in you. Just like the Spirit gave life in Genesis when God created human beings, the Spirit also gives new life when God, gave, when God saves someone from sin and death. You see, sometimes we think that conversion or salvation is about someone weighing the good news of Jesus Christ against their worldview. Good news of Jesus Christ here, their worldview here. Which one makes more sense? Which one's more beneficial? Which one's is less offensive? Which, one's is, which one works in their lives? You see, they weigh, they weigh the two and they realize that, okay, this one makes more sense. Jesus is more beneficial. Therefore, I abandon my old worldview and I trade it with Christianity. Of course, there is that element, like I mentioned, but something deeper must happen inside. When someone is saved, He's not a renovated individual. He's a new creation. He doesn't just change worldview. Rather, he's a spiritually dead person who has been given a new life in Christ. Now, some of you here might know that I lost quite a bit of weight in 2020. Uh, thanks to the pandemic, somehow I managed to regulate my lifestyle. And until today, from time to time, I have people commenting me, Whoa, it's a new Sandy. Where is your other half? And they're not talking about my wife when they say that. Of course, I'm happy and I feel and I thank God for it. But deep inside, I know I am still the old me. I still love food. My attitude towards Kentucky Fried Chicken hasn't changed. I still buy potato chips when it's half price at the supermarkets. I'm still the same old me. The out, outside might have changed, but inside, it's still the same. When I see food, I gain weight. It's just ridiculous. My wife and my son, on the other hand, is the opposite. Now, every time I went to a retreat for a retreat or for a Christian camp, you know, when you go to a retreat or a Christian camp, it's just notorious when it comes to food, right? When I, every time I went for a retreat or a camp, I gained weight. But last year, Christmas, we went for our life group retreat. Uh, my son complained that he lost two kilograms. I thought, Foods are plentiful and you lost two kilograms. He is built very differently. He's more like my wife. They sleep and they lose weight. You see, from the outside, again, I look like a new person. But I'm still the same person on the inside. You see, salvation on the other hand. Salvation on the other hand. You might still look the same on the outside. But inside, you're different. Salvation is a new life. It is a new creation that's why jesus uses the term born again born of the spirit by the way this is how christianity is different from other religions you know in other religions you have to jump through hoops to be good enough that the gods will accept you you have to be you have to tick all the boxes or at least maybe 90% of the boxes before the gods will see you and say that, yeah, I think you're good enough. I'll come and save you. You see, you're on your own. When it comes to other religions, you're on your own. You are still the same you, but you are required to do what is impossible. 
It is like you are a pig or a hippo or an elephant and they force you to wash and be clean and they dress you up and they tell you not to go back to the mud again. No way. Sooner or later, you will go back to the mud again because that's who you are. But in Christianity, the Holy Spirit transforms you from the inside. You are given a new life. You are a new creation. God takes you out of the mud. He transforms you. And now you realize that mud is dirty. Yes, there are times something inside you tells you that mud is good. Remember the good old days. Remember the good old feelings. And yes, sometimes you go back to the mud. The old feeling of pleasure come for a while. But then suddenly... You feel yucky again. You quickly get out of it again and you run back to God again. Friends, that's what born again is. That's what born again is. And we need to understand this. So when we are proclaiming the gospel, when we are proclaiming Jesus, we are not, we are not simply inviting people to adopt a new worldview. Rather, we hope that they will become a new creation. And that's not your work. That is the work of God through the Holy Spirit. That's why we must pray. You can evangelize, you can proclaim Jesus until your mouth froths. But without prayer, without the Holy Spirit changing people from the inside, our evangelism will bear no fruit. So I hope, I hope these two reasons is enough for, to, to, to encourage you, to force you down on your knees to pray. To pray, to start praying. Now the question is, what do we pray for? What do we pray for? Well, the Bible tells us so many things that we can pray for. But with regards to proclaiming Jesus, with regards to evangelism, there are a few things that we should pray for. Well, firstly, of course, pray for your friends. Pray for the people that you're reaching out to. I hope you can think of one, two or three people in your mind right now that you can start praying. I pray for people that my wife and I are reaching out to. Because I love them. I want them to know God. I want them to know the Savior who loved them very much. And I pray for people in Tarnit. I hope that one day when we start a church, we can get uh, people to just, we, we, we will see the gospel just penetrate um, the, the suburb. And as parents, and for many of you as grandparents, pray for your kids. Pray for your grandchildren all the time. I pray for my kids all the time. I pray that God will use the gospel that I proclaim to save them. I pray that the Holy Spirit will give them new birth. I teach them the Bible. Maria and I, my wife and I, we teach them the Bible. We tell them about Jesus every day as if all depends on us. As if all depends on us. But at the same time, we pray to God because we know if He doesn't move, if the Holy Spirit does not give them the new birth, nothing will happen. So firstly, pray for the people that you are reaching out to. Secondly, we pray that God will raise the gospel workers. We'll raise gospel workers. In Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus saw the crowds, He had compassion for them. It's easy for us, right, to see the crowds out there and, and we are filled with hatred. We are filled with disgust. Or filled with, I don't know, apathy. You see the crowd out there, you start judging them. Oh, look at them, look at them, look at them. But not Jesus. If there's anyone who can judge people, it's Jesus. But when he see the crowds out there, when he see the crowds with 
different sexual orientation. When we see the crowds with who are worshiping different gods, when we see when he see the crowds who are just rebellious against God, he had compassion for them. Because God knows, because Jesus knows, knows they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Look around you, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray. Pray earnestly that the Lord will send out laborers into his harvest. Friends, our hearts must be broken for the millions of people who are heading for eternal fire. Do we know that? Do we know that that people who do not know Jesus, people who do not surrender their life to Jesus, they are heading for eternal fire. And they can be your sons, they can be your daughters, they can be your grandchildren, they can be your friends. They can even be your parents perhaps. They are heading for eternal fire. We must go down on our knees and pray. Pray that God will send people to proclaim the good news everywhere. And don't be surprised when you pray that God will send you. The more you pray, the more God will soften your heart as well. And thirdly, pray. Pray for those who are already out there proclaiming the good news. Paul says, remember, Paul says that uh, to Colossians, pray for us that God may give us, that God may open a, to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ and pray that I'll make it, make it clear. So in your own prayer time, in your own prayer time, in your family prayer time, in your, uh, when you meet for the Bible study together, who do you pray for? Do you pray just for yourself or do you pray for missionaries who are sharing the good news out there? Find one or two missionaries, adopt them and pray for them regularly. And not just pray for them, but tell them that you're praying for them. Tell them you're praying for them. Or maybe subscribe to organizations like Open Doors, Barnabas Fund. They are supporting many gospel workers who are proclaiming Jesus in difficult places. Pray for them. Pray for them. And of course, pray for each other as you share the good news to your friends. So pray for those who are already out there proclaiming the good news. And thirdly, and fourthly, pray for the authorities. Pray for the authorities. Paul says this in Timothy. Uh, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Not just for all people, but specifically for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Now, some, some, many of us just stop there. We say, pray for the government so that we live a comfortable life. Is that the end of it? Is that the end game for living a quiet, dignified, godly life? No. Verse 3, And this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We must realize that when we pray for the authorities, when we pray that God leads the authorities, we pray so that they will come up with policies not to make your life comfortable. It is nice if that's the case, but we pray above all that that they will come up with policies that will make it conducive for the gospel to penetrate societies. They will make it conducive for the gospel to flourish 
wherever you live. That's the end game. That's the end goal. So pray for the authorities. We pray for the city councils uh, of, of Wyndham, where we live. And we met with, uh, we met with one of the council, uh, one of the councillors recently. Uh, she happened to be Christian as well. She, and she shared with us how difficult it is to work in a, as a councillor in where we are. And she shared with us how every time she goes to the council chamber, it's like going into lion's dens. That's what, he, that's what she said to us. And we said to her, we pray, we pray for you regularly. And she said, thank you so much for praying. Thank you so much for praying. So pray, pray for the authorities. And finally, pray, pray for ourselves. Pray that God too will give you the conviction and the courage to go out there and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, as we pray for ourselves, many times we, we say that, I don't know where to start. I don't know who to preach the gospel to. I don't know whom to approach to proclaim Jesus. Well, maybe because we don't pray. Maybe because we don't pray for one, two, or three people that God lays in your mind. Maybe we don't pray for yourself. Because you like it or not, when God, when you are praying, when you start praying, God is changing, not them first, God is changing your hearts first. And interestingly, the more you pray, the more your eyes are open to opportunities. So don't say, I don't have opportunities to proclaim Jesus. No, opportunities are plentiful. You just, you just don't pray about it. If you pray, then you will find opportunities. So, in conclusion, prayer is essential to our evangelism. It is essential to our evangelism. You know, Easter has just passed. Easter has just passed, and many people who usually don't go to church might have gone to church last Sunday. Some of them might have gone to ch this church last Sunday, but then they were nowhere to be found for the rest of the year. And many people just do that. But they heard the gospel. I hope they heard the gospel when they go to church. So continue to pray that the seeds that have been sown will bear fruit in their lives. Continue to pray for that. And also, as I said, this is also the month of Ramadan. Now, during this time, during this time, Muslims believe, they believe that the gate of heaven is open. That's why they become more and more pious, so that hopefully their good deeds are received by their Allah. But at the same time, they are more receptive towards revelations from heaven. So pray that Jesus will reveal himself to them in a powerful way. Many, many, many Muslims become Christians because of visions, dreams, revelations. Especially where uh, the gospel has no, not much freedom to move in those countries. They, they become Christians simply because of that. So pray. Pray that Jesus will reveal himself to many Muslims in a powerful way. Now, we talk about prayer a lot. Of course, we may ask, so we just pray? We don't do anything? Of course not. We all know that. God says that we are laborers. Laborers means, yes, we must pray, but we also need to work. We must also proclaim the good news with our word, with our deed. Our conduct and our speech are not, sorry, are not, our conduct and our speech are not indispensable. So that will be the third and the fourth part of this series. We will look at, the, our, we'll look at our conduct and our speech next time. 
For now, let me go back. Let me go back to what I told you about Iron Man just now, right? After Iron Man unleashes the laser beams, the secret weapon, the friend, remember, he says, wow, I think you should lead with that next time. And then Iron Man simply answered, yeah, sorry, boss. I could only use it once. It's a one-off. That's what he said. But imagine, imagine if he could use it again and again. Imagine if he could use it again and again. Wouldn't he use it all the time? Yeah, of course. But you see, unlike Iron Man's laser beam, our prayer is not a one-off thing. Our prayer is not a one-off thing. We can use it again and again and again and again. And there is no limit to it. So it would be silly, wouldn't it? If we don't use it every time. So, as I close, let me ask you this question. Simple question. You can claim to be a Christian, but let me ask you this question. Who are you praying for regularly? Who are you praying for regularly? Your friend, your neighbor, your colleagues, your children, your grandchildren, your cousins, or simply just people that you met at the supermarket, people that you met as you have coffee, you make an acquaintance. Who are you praying for regularly? So let me pray. Father, we thank you so much Lord, for the opportunity for us to be encouraged again to pray. And Father, we pray not because we are good, Lord. We pray because we are powerless. We pray because we are helpless and hopeless. Without you, without the Holy Spirit working in our hearts to begin with, Lord, we will never believe in Jesus. And we know that without the Holy Spirit working in people's hearts, they will not be born again. There's no way, Lord, they will be awaken from their dead spirit. So I pray, Father, that you will awaken many people's hearts so that they can respond to the gospel. And I pray for us as well that we will pray. We will go down on our knees every day to pray. Not just pray for ourselves, not just pray for our comfort, but pray for salvation of many people who are yet to know Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that during our lifetime we will witness many, many people, many of our loved ones, our close friends, coming to know Jesus as the Lord and Savior for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.